70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Hai, jumpa kembali bersama saya Eko Endriwiono dari Nganjuk, Jawa Timur. Di tengah modernisasi Hi, it's a pleasure to say hi to you all. My name is Eko Endri Wiono, and I'm from Eastern Java, Indonesia. Thanks to KBS World Radio, I feel like I can keep up with the fast-changing modern world. KBS World Radio's easily accessible platforms are a blessing to many listeners, including a long-time listener like myself, who enjoys shortwave radio at night. KBS World Radio is very special. Everyone knows about K-pop these days, not just the young people, but the older generations as well. KBS World Radio is the quintessential K-pop channel that brings the whole package. Congratulations on your 70th birthday, and I will look forward to the channel's continued success in the future. semangat. 70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it's Monday the 16th of October and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Won jang An agreement has been reached to open the Rafah border crossing between Gaza and Egypt ahead of an expected ground offensive by Israel. We'll have the latest on the conflict in news briefing shortly. The recent deadly attack by Hamas militants on Israel has raised questions for South Korea about its own security threat posed by North Korea. We'll explore the situation for our in-depth today. And coming up for Monday Sports Roundup, We look back at South Korea's 4-0 win against Tunisia in a football friendly last week, as well as updates in baseball and golf. Let's begin Korea 24. in the early hours of Monday as Israel continued its airstrikes. More than 4,000 people have been killed on both sides following the surprise attack by Hamas militants on October 7th. Israel has also cut off water, food, medicine and electricity to Gaza and a ground offensive seems ever imminent. Meanwhile, the US, Israel and Egypt reportedly agreed to reopen the Rafah border crossing between Gaza and Egypt for eight hours to allow in aid and evacuate foreigners. The US Secretary of State Antony Blinken earlier indicated the opening. Let's hear what he had to say. Good evening, everyone. With regard to Rafah, I had a very good conversation with uh, President al-Sisi. Uh, we have put in place, and Egypt has put in place, uh, a lot of material support for people in, uh, in Gaza. And Rafah will be, will be open, 
uh, we're putting in place with the United Nations, with Egypt, with Israel, with others, the mechanism by which to get the assistance in and to get it to the people who need it. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. For this and our other major headlines of the day, we have in the studio with us Kim Ingyung, the Deputy Editor-in-Chief of KBS World's English News Service. Ingyung, hello. Hello, Tangwoo. So reports are saying that the Rafa border crossing is set to be reopened starting from 3pm Monday, Korea time. Uh, can you tell us what we know at this point? Yes, according to Reuters, the agreement was reached to allow in aid and foreigners to exit. But Israel immediately denied the report, with Israeli media quoting a statement from the Prime Minister's office as saying that there is currently no truce and humanitarian aid in Gaza in exchange for getting foreigners out. Hamas also said it has no information related to the Reuters report. This comes as the U.S. has sought to reopen Rafah to assist the evacuation of civilians. Amid the escalating conflicts between Israel and Hamas, a South Korean military plane brought home more South Korean nationals from Israel on Saturday night, this time 163 Korean nationals. But it was also revealed that Japanese and Singaporeans were on board the plane. Can you explain? Yes, the aircraft arrived in Tel Aviv on Friday afternoon and departed for South Korea early on Saturday. Aside from Koreans, passengers included 51 Japanese nationals and family members, as well as six Singaporeans. The government said it brought aboard the foreign nationals as there was room left in the 230-seat plane. Japanese Foreign Minister Yoko Kamikawa expressed gratitude to to the South Korean government for the emergency transportation of its people. Okay, let's turn to some other headlines now. Uh, Let's get the latest on a recent revelation by the White House that North Korea sent over 1,000 containers of military equipment and munitions to Russia last month for use in the war against Ukraine. Uh, Seoul's defence ministry said on Monday that hundreds of thousands of rounds of artillery shells could have been sent to Russia. What more can you tell us? A defense ministry official confirmed the reports of maritime container transportation between North Korea and Russia, adding that while the disclosure of detailed information is restricted, the load capacity is equivalent to hundreds of thousands of rounds. According to photos provided by the U.S. as evidence of the Pyongyang-Moscow arms trade, a Russian ship loaded containers at North Korea's Najin port last month and moved it to eastern Russia. Any such deal would be a violation of UN Security Council Resolution 1874, which prohibits the export of all weapons and related materials from the north. South Korea has also said it will monitor the Pyongyang-Moscow military cooperation and consider additional measures in close cooperation with the US and other allies. What steps have the allies taken so far? Foreign Minister Park Jin visited the nuclear-powered USS Ronald Reagan aircraft carrier on Sunday, which is docked in Busan as a show of force against Pyongyang's threats. And a meeting of nuclear envoys from South Korea, the US and Japan is being held for two days until Tuesday. A US B-52 strategic bomber is also set to land at an airbase in South Korea for the first time this week. According to a military source on Monday, U.S. forces Korea is soon expected to announce the arrival of the strategic bomber capable of carrying nuclear weapons. While the bomber has participated in combined exercises in South Korean airspace, landings at overseas bases are rare. USFK issued a press release saying the B-52 is scheduled to perform two flights during its stay, coinciding with the 70th anniversary of the South Korea-U.S. alliance, as well as the Seoul International Aerospace and Defense Exhibition 2023, opening on Tuesday. 
Shifting gears now to domestic politics, the People Power Party held a general meeting of lawmakers on Sunday afternoon to discuss reform measures in the wake of the crushing defeat in the Kangsa district by-election. There had been speculation whether Chairman Kim Ki-hun would be ousted from the ruling party, but what did they decide in the end? The PPP decided to stick with its leader in the end. After the meeting, which lasted for more than four hours, floor leader Yoon Jae-yuk told reporters that the party decided to respect the public sentiment conveyed through the by-election and quickly produced measures for change and reform with Kim at the center. Instead of ousting Kim, the PPP decided to launch a reform committee and a general election planning team before also forming a talent scouting committee. Kim reportedly told lawmakers during the meeting that he will stake his political career on next year's general elections. Meanwhile, amid reports that the government is looking to significantly increase the number of med students starting from the 2025 entrance exam, the PPP and the government held a closed-door meeting at the Prime Minister's office on Sunday to discuss the expansion of medical school admissions. Can you tell us more? Yes, the local press has been reporting that medical school admissions could be expanded by up to 1,000 students a year, but a presidential official said the number isn't factual. The official confirmed a discussion of the medical school quota but said specifics such as the amount were not addressed. It would be a huge deal for students as more are trying to enter medical schools. In response, the Korea Medical Association said it will hold a meeting on Tuesday to exchange opinions on the matter. That's where we'll leave it for our news briefing today. In Young, thank you for those updates. Thanks for having me. The horrific attack on Israel by the Palestinian militant group Hamas earlier this month has led to inevitable reflections here in South Korea about its own precarious situation with North Korea. Seoul officials have said that Pyongyang could conduct a surprise attack using Hamas-style tactics, adding that the regime could fire up to 16,000 rounds an hour from its multiple rocket launches. Meanwhile, concerns are also emerging that the intensifying Israel-Hamas conflict coupled with Russia's ongoing war in Ukraine, could push Korean Peninsula issues from Washington's priority list. To discuss the impact of the Israel-Hamas conflict on the security concerns here in East Asia, uh, we have joining us on the line now Bruce Bechtel, Professor of Political Science at Angelo State University and a former intelligence officer at the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency. Hello and thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. It's nice to talk to you again. And we also have standing by on the line today Dr. Bong Young-shik, Research Fellow at the Yonsei Institute for North Korean Studies. Dr. Bong, thank you for your time as well. Hello. Thank you for the invitation. Yes, while there has been much sympathy and concern expressed by South Koreans in the wake of the Hamas attack, uh, there's also been a lot of reflection on how it compares to the situation here on the Korean Peninsula. Politicians and experts have called on the need to strengthen military readiness against threats from the north. Uh, the attack also apparently showed that depending heavily on advanced military hardware, such as the Iron Dome, could fail in the event of massive sudden attacks. North Korea has reportedly over 1,000 long-range artillery installations near the DMZ and is capable of firing 16,000 rounds per hour. 
So, Professor Bechtel, with all that in mind, how do you assess the uh, artillery and rocket threats of North Korea in comparison to Hamas's firepower? Well, it, uh, it's important to understand that the threat from North Korea to South Korea, the, the, the firepower that they can bring against uh, South Korea is much more than what Hamas was bringing against Israel. Um, North Korea has, um, you know, all of the systems that Hamas has. Hamas has a lot of shorter-range 107-millimeter systems, which are a range of about 8,000 meters max, and they have the 122 systems, which are a range of about 18,000 meters max. But those are really old systems. North Korea still manufactures those, which is, you know, something else we'll probably get into, how they got those to Hamas. But North Korea has way more systems, many more systems. They've got 240-millimeter systems. They've got the 300-millimeter system, and now even the 600-millimeter system, which can hit all parts of, or many parts of South Korea. And they've got regular tubed artillery as well, um, you know, big guns um, that, that can do a lot of damage. And this is this is uh this is very important because in past years and Dr. Bong I'm sure could talk about this as well. Um there was talk between the South Koreans and the Israelis about the uh South Koreans purchasing the uh Iron Dome or something like it. And at the time I brought up the point that you know Iron Dome is a, is really good protection if they just fire a few rockets, but it can be overwhelmed. And we saw that happen with the Israelis. Uh, Iron Dome was literally overwhelmed when the when the Hamas folks used those multiple rocket launchers. So something to keep in mind. And also, you know, you didn't ask me about this, but I think it's important. North Korea's special operations forces have at times trained both Hamas and Hezbollah. And you saw what Hamas did in asymmetric warfare in the first three days of this war, the horrible terrorizing acts that they made. North Korea's special operations forces are certainly highly capable to do that and more against South Korea. Right. So what about then on the South Korean side, Professor Bechtel? What kind of uh, capabilities and uh, anti-artillery capabilities, missile interception capabilities, does uh, South Korea have? You mentioned how, in the past, Korea has discussed with Israel about uh, buying Iron Dome. Uh, what kind of capabilities do they have currently to protect themselves? Well, it's important to know that, that Iron Dome it, it protects you against rockets, not missiles. I mean, these are little uh, 107s and 122s that... Uh, that uh, the Hamas is firing at Israel, uh, which is far less than what the North Koreans have. So um, the the South Koreans have much better counter-battery capability, in other words, going after artillery that goes after them, than they did even 10 years ago. They've made a lot of good purchases. But it's not enough to cover everything that the North Koreans would rack down on on a South Korean landmass. I'm not sure any military has enough to counter all of that firepower because North Korea, as you well know, as the South Korean population knows, has massed all that artillery right along the DMZ where they can take out zone after zone after zone. So 
it, it might be a good idea for South Korea to look at investing more in counter-battery capabilities and, and more counter-battery systems, more of the very good systems they already have. It's also important to note, and we all know about THAAD, that when it comes to uh, counter-missile capability, that's a different thing. The THAAD system is very capable, and North Korea would have some trouble getting its missiles through. But again, one would have to think that their approach would be the same as Hamas was with Israel, that they would try and mass as many missiles as quickly as possible against the South, and that this could possibly overwhelm the South's um, ballistic missile defense capability. Dr. Wong, let me turn to you now. What do you make of the comparisons being made between Israel and Hamas versus South and North Korea when it comes to the risk that North Korea poses? What kind of risk is South Korea under compared to Israel? And how prepared is South Korea for an attack similar to the one carried out by Hamas? Well, as uh, Professor Bechtel uh, well explained, uh, no country is perfect in terms of having you know, full and uh, complete capability to give the um, iron-proof protection uh, for the population and uh, industrial facilities. Even the United States China uh, are not perfect in terms of having the complete capability uh, to protect themselves uh, from rocket and missile attacks. So we have to bear in mind that uh, no nation is, has a perfect system, and every nation is pursuing a so-called layered missile defense system. There's a reason why that they, these countries have chosen, including South Korea did, layered missile defense system. Uh, so uh, what is uh, very conspicuous uh, in reading the uh, failure of the Iron Dome system against the Hamas uh, rocket uh, launches is not so much about the Iron Dome's uh, deficiency itself, but the failure of the intelligence to give the forewarning uh, to the Israeli military forces and the civilian population. So what is concerning uh, in comparison between the Hamas attack of Israel and uh, North Korea's, uh, you know, possible, you know, attack to South Korea is um, 2018, the Pyongyang Joint Declaration and the military agreement, which uh, sets a no-fly zone alongside with the DMZ. So the South Korea's intelligence capability to uh, have uh, uh, forewarnings about the North Korea, you know, preparing to launch missile and the rocket launch to South Korea has been greatly undermined. Uh, so there is the issue that has to be seriously reconsidered uh, in the context of the military conflict of Gaza Strip uh, for South Korean government and military to consider. And the second point is uh, it is expected that uh, uh, the discourse of bad peace, better than ugly, um, you know, defense, uh, will, um, you know, rise its head. Uh, as uh, South Korea, just like Israeli's uh, domestic policies, is going to have a very contentious uh, political atmosphere as, uh, uh, you know, its domestic politics is uh, waiting for the National Assembly election in the spring of the next year. So um, the critics of the Yoon suk government is going to point out the failure of the Iron Dome missile defense system of Israel and uh, urge the government to abandon its hardline policy toward North Korea, saying that as long as North Korea 
remain hostile to South Korea, then no missile de defense system and uh, no security uh, partnership with the United States and Japan or NATO member countries will be enough to give the due protection for South Korean people. So South Korean government needs to uh, be pacific and uh, conciliatory to Kim Jong-un regime of North Korea, because North Korea, as Professor Bechtol says, uh, that uh, is far stronger than Hamas is in terms of uh, having capability to inflict mm. uh, unspeakable damage to South Korean population. Right. Dr. Bong there mentioned the uh, 2018 military accord signed by South and North Korea. Uh, that was signed, of course, by uh, the previous administration in South Korea, the uh, Moon Jae-in administration. And the newly appointed defense minister here in South Korea, Shin Won-sik, has noted last week that Hamas's uh, shelling from the uh, Gaza Strip has proved the necessity of suspending the inter-Korean military agreement. And Dr. Bong seems to be uh, in agreement with that. Dr. Bechtel, uh, what do you think? Well, I think those are very good points Dr. Bong brought up. He's a pretty smart guy, isn't he? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> thank, you, thank you very much for that. You're welcome, sir. But, uh, I mean, I, I concur 100% with what he said. When the 2018 agreement came about, there was problems with it from almost the very beginning. And the biggest problem is the one that he articulated so well, and that's that it hurts preparation time for Iraq military defenses and for the defenses of the ROK-US military alliance. That's important. That's hugely important. And, and you know, we've seen with the attitude of the North Korean government that uh, – that the North Korean military would only use this to its advantage. This has not helped out uh, st the strategic goals or the strategic aims of the ROK one bit, not one centimeter. So I think it's important that, uh, and I agree with, uh, with your country's defense minister, the Minister of National Defense, that this is something that needs to really be reexamined because we're talking about the safety of the, the rock people Everybody who lives, especially when it comes to, you know, the systems that we talked about, this is especially the population that lives north of Seoul. That's a, an area that's grown remarkably in population since I lived there 20 years ago. And they and there would be a whole lot of civilians that would be at risk, much as they were in Israel, um, if this 2018 agreement is not reexamined carefully and possibly suspended if that's what the uh, uh, Ministry of National Defense determines needs to be done. Uh, I, if I may, I'd like to make additional points. Right, I mean, right. some, people, some people may just say that uh, we don't have to worry about that because uh, we can rely upon the you know, reconnaissance mm. uh, capability of the United States forces in South Korea, like the military spy satellites and the reconnaissance airplanes. But... Their main function is to monitor North Korea's activities, specifically focused on the nuclear weapons and the long-range missiles. Right. Uh, you know, their target is the United States. Uh, so South Korean military has to assume the responsibility for giving prior warnings and due protection for the civilian population, especially 200, uh, I'm sorry, 20 million, you know, uh, residents in the capital city Seoul, which is not far from the mm. you know, origin of the potential you know, attacks from North Korea. And the second point is that 
the expected attacks from North Korea would be not only far greater in numbers compared to the rocket launches by Hamas to Israeli population, but as Professor Bechtel already pointed out, that Hamas only fires rockets, but North Korea's <laughs> capability is multifaceted, not just rockets, but mm. you know, short-range and long-range long missiles, as well as the uh, drones and the artilleries. Those North Korean artilleries are hidden in the backside of the mount, mountainous areas. So as long as the 2018 military agreement continues, then uh, South Korea's capability of the ISR, intelligence, mm. surveillance, and reconnaissance, cannot, re re cannot really pick up any uh, uh, serious move uh, by the North Korean military to prepare for the launches from their artilleries behind the mountain. Part of South Korea's defense is, of course, uh, the U.S. The military might of the U.S. Uh, provides protection, also, of course, acts as a deterrent. But amid uh, two active conflicts in the Ukraine and now the Middle East, some experts are also concerned about how the situation, how it could perhaps nudge the Korean Peninsula issue into, onto the back burner. Uh, while the U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has responded to these concerns, saying that his country is able to uh, address crises in uh, multiple theaters uh, simultaneously, but still anxiety uh, lingers. Professor Bechtel, are you confident that the U.S. can handle all of these situations simultaneously, or is there a risk that North Korea issues could fall off from Washington's priority list? Well, I certainly think this is going to be... That's a very good question. And I certainly think it will make things very difficult for the U.S. DOD. But it's also important to remember that the United States' commitment to the ROK is not just, you know, um, providing them weapons. We actually send troops there. We have troops there on the ground right now, 28,500 of them. And if there was to, to be a conflict that would break out on the Korean Peninsula, we would, of course, send troops there in addition to systems. Whereas Israel is really more of a supply chain issue. It's not, I mean, those troops that are there on the aircraft carrier, largely, there's two carriers now that are going to be there, but that's largely air power and that's largely more for deterrence and for show. It's not actually troops that are going to be deployed on the ground. I'm Jewish, and I can tell you that Israel, the last thing the Israelis want is American troops on the ground. They want the weapons that need to be supplied, but they would rather not have American troops on the ground because of the geopolitical position there. As soon as the United States actually puts boots on the ground in the Middle East, we all know what happens and the domino effects of that. So I think as far as, um, you know, um, deploying troops to the Middle East as, a, as opposed to the Far East, were a conflict to break out in South Korea. I don't think that competition will be too bad. Where the, where the um, issues might arise is, again, with supply chain issues, because now the United States is not only supplying um, the Ukraine with emergency stocks of things like artillery rounds and things like that, but now we're also... Um, providing emergency stocks to the Israeli military, the IDF. So that could possibly cause an issue um, with, uh, with you know, supporting our friends in the ROK. And that's certainly something that not just the United States Department of Defense, 
but the United States military industrial con um, excuse me uh, the military industrial complex would have to step up to the plate to do in other words they would have to jack up their production of weapon systems because they're already supporting two other countries in an emergency uh, violent conflict and they would have to do so for the ROK as well. Uh, Dr. Bong, what do you think? Can the U.S. simultaneously handle uh, North Korea issues as well as the issues in Israel, Ukraine, and then also there's the issues in uh, South China Sea as well? The number of fronts seems to be growing. But also at the same time, how do you think North Korea will be viewing this situation and perhaps China as well? Will they be seeing it as an opportunity to cause more headaches for the U.S. or is it uh, in their interest not to get involved for now? Well, I would say that the United States uh, must have been shocked by the recent development in uh, Gaza Strip, in addition to the prolonged <coughs> war in Ukraine, between Ukraine and Russia. But I don't think it was an uh, unexpected shock to Washington to deal with, because even during the Cold War, United States' uh, global military strategy was uh, premised upon uh, maintaining sufficient capability to deal with multiple, not singular, regional uh, military conflicts uh, with a minimum delay or, uh, of time or almost at the same time. Uh, and uh, during, even during the uh, Bush administration's campaign of the global war against uh, terrorism, the Pentagon strategy uh, maintained the basic assumption that the United States military uh, capability uh, must, had to be enough to deal with at least two simultaneous regional conflicts. Uh, the candidate places were uh, Middle East and uh, uh, Northeast Asia, including Taiwan Strait and uh, in a DMZ between the two Koreas. So this is not a new type of situation for the U.S. government to deal with. So although this is a serious challenge to the Biden administration's uh, global reach, but this is not an unexpected or totally new scenario for the Pentagon to deal with in the first place. Uh, moreover, uh, if the security situations outside the Korean Peninsula became more challenging uh, and exacerbated to Washington, that, that gives more incentives for Washington to uh, upgrade its security partnership with the Asian allies, such as South Korea and Japan. So the uh, military conflict in Gaza Strip is not going to lessen the interest and commitment of Washington to strengthening trilateral security cooperation with South Korea and Japan, and it's a commitment to provide reliable security uh, protection and uh, nuclear deterrence to South Korea against the nuclear armed North Korea. But the Gaza Strait conflict will only make the commitment more urgent and mm. necessary to both Washington and Seoul. Right, and very briefly, how do you think North Korea will be viewing this situation? Well, North Korean leadership uh, must be paying very serious attention to the situation in the Gaza Strip with the hope that, uh, as we discussed, that Washington's uh, attention to North Korea's um, nuclear weapon development uh, might be uh, reduced. But as I said, that there is no you know, uh, ground to justify such a hope. But uh, what North Korean leadership is going to focus on is to rattle South Korean population uh, in the context of domestic politics. Uh, remember that the uh, strategic decision by the right. Hamas uh, to launch such a surprise attack to Israel 
uh, is at least partially influenced by the very uncertain and chaotic political situations inside Israel. So North Korea is going to aim at creating at least a, a, you know, a strong strengthening uh, domestic division right. uh, during in the political time frame so that the argument against the hardline policy toward North Korea or the <coughs> argument uh, uh, for the right. uh, strengthening trilateral security co- cooperation with the U.S. and Japan would be uh, dying out. Uh, how do we ensure that North Korea will not engage in provocations? Uh, is the answer restarting the stalled denarchization talks? Okay. Dr. Bechtel, let me just give you uh, just 30 more seconds. How do, how do we ensure that North Korea does not engage in provocations? That is the question, isn't it? <laughs> Man, it's a very good question. Um, North Korea will continue to engage in provocations as they, as they see the opportunity to do so. So, yes, the, the ROK should should make very good deterrence measures to, to try and keep those provocations from happening. But when those provocations do happen, and they will, the ROK government also has to make sure that the ROK people, the people of South Korea, understand that these provocations are not a real large-scale threat to the safety and security of the people of the ROK. We'll have to leave it there for today. Professor Bechtel, Dr. Bong, thank you uh, both for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to talk to you again. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index shed 19.91 points, or 0.81% on Monday, to close at 2,436.24. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, dropping 12.24 points, or 1.49%, to close at 810.54. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 3.71 against the U.S. dollar, closing at 1,353.71. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on now to Korea Trending, our daily segment where we take a look at some of the other news stories that have been attracting attention online today. And for that, we have with us in the studio, contributor Diane Yu. Diane, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Jango. Okay, what do you have first for us today? It's easy to find several internet sites where you can buy alcohol, such as whiskey and wine, a little cheaper than in regular stores. However, you have to be careful as there are an increasing number of cases of customers being exposed to sellers that illegally import alcoholic beverages to avoid paying customs duties. Mm, Right. To begin with, you said it was easy enough to find sites where you can buy alcohol online. Mm -hmm. But is buying alcohol online actually legal? The basic principle in Korea is that alcohol should be sold by the seller face-to-face with the buyer and go through an ID verification process. Mm. However, in 2020, the government introduced the smart order system to promote the liquor industry. It's an online-to-offline system that allows customers to order liquor online before picking up their orders at a store. Mm. While the government's intention was to promote the liquor industry, this also meant that an online market opened up, giving some businesses an opportunity to secretly handle alcohol imported from overseas to avoid customs duties. Because there's no need to display products in actual stores, it makes it easier for sellers to hide the fact that the alcoholic beverages they sell were imported illegally. 
Mm, I see. Do the actual statistics show that the number of cases of illegally imported alcoholic beverages sold online is on the rise? Right, yes. In fact, in 2020, when the smart order system was just implemented, the amount of illegal alcohol imports detected jumped from 500 million won to 1.3 billion won the following year. That's an increase from $370,000 to $960,000. And as of August this year, illegal imports exceeded 3.4 billion won or, or over $2.5 million. The actual number is expected to be higher as there may be more illegally imported alcoholic beverages released into the market without being detected. So clearly there's a pattern, and not just that, consumers are at risk of buying counterfeits online too, right? Right. As consumers pay without seeing the actual product through the smart order system, there is a higher chance that consumers may end up buying counterfeit alcohol. Lawmakers point out that it's urgent to prevent tax evasion and damage to consumers by assigning responsibility to each alcohol sales platform to thoroughly verify sellers. Yes, it sounds like there is a hole in the system that does need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, consumers are encouraged to buy from authorised dealers and online stores. Right. Okay, moving on to our second story of the day. What do you have for us? The driver who received money to transport a famous South Korean singer Kim Tae-woo to an event in a private ambulance was sentenced to prison. It's illegal to misappropriate emergency services for personal convenience in any circumstance, as it can disrupt the medical care system and those who really need help might not be able to get immediate attention. It was reported on Monday that the Incheon District Court sentenced a 44-year-old private ambulance driver to one year and six months in prison and a fine of up to a uh, fine of two million won for violating the emergency medical services act and driving without a license under the road traffic act two million won is about uh, 1500 us dollars Right, so quite the scandal, using an ambulance for a singer to get from one place to the next. Uh, The driver was sentenced on Monday, but actually this incident took place several years ago now, right? Mm -hmm, Right, the driver is accused of picking up the singer Kim Tae-woo in a private ambulance in the western Ilsan district, Gyeonggi province, in March 2018, and driving him to an event venue in the Songdong district in the east area of Seoul. At the time, an executive from Kim's agency introduced a private ambulance driver to the event agency staff, saying if you use a private ambulance, you can avoid traffic jams and get to the event venue fast. Afterward, the driver received a request from the agency and placed Kim in the ambulance. The fee for using the ambulance service was 300,001, paid by the agency, which is about 220 US dollars. The driver who has a history of being caught driving under the influence was also charged with driving an ambulance without a license from August to 2021 to March of last year. Wow, so the driver faced faces a multiple charges then. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about the other people involved in this incident? For example, the event staff, uh, the executives of mm-hmm. Kim's agency, and the singer himself, of course. Will mm-hmm. they be punished as well? Right. The prosecution summarily indicted executives of the agency, employees of the agency, and Kim Tae-woo, who was riding the private ambulance, on charges of violating the Emergency Medical Services Act. A summary indictment is a procedure in which the prosecution reviews documents and requests requests the court to sentence a fine without a formal trial. Yes, the scandal caused quite a stir when it first emerged five years ago, but looks like this sentencing has brought the story to the surface. Once again, I believe the singer Kim has issued another public apology in the meantime as well. Mm. 
Okay, let's move on to our last story. What do you have for us? Now that the 2023 Hangzhou Asian Games is over, South Korean sports players have returned home with their medals. One of them is a South Korean badminton player, An Seung, who made history by winning two gold medals at the Asian Games despite her knee injury. After her win, a lot of companies and media contacted her for an interview or a commercial film, but she politely rejected all of them, saying, winning a gold medal does not make me special. Wow, so normally when medal winners return to Korea, they're often seen appearing on TV chat shows and commercials, but you're saying Anne has shunned all that. Mm -hmm. This has led to much praise, I believe, from fans and the public. That's correct. A 21-year-old athlete posted on her social media last Friday saying that she had received numerous offers from TV appearances, interviews and endorsements after returning home from the Asian Games. However, she said that she had declined them all, adding that right now her priority is to fully recover from her injury and take some much-needed rest. Yes, she famously suffered a knee injury in her gold medal match, but Mm -hmm. she persevered on, essentially on one leg to claim the title. Right. She won a lot of fans because of that. I'm sure many people would have been eager to hear her story, Mm. uh, what went through her mind during that final. It's a shame we won't get to hear it for now, but as you said, many people have been very impressed from such a young athlete as well, just 21 years yeah, old. Yeah, for sure. Impressing off the court as well as on it. That's mm-hmm. where we're going to leave it for today's Career Trending. Thank you for those stories, Diane, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. It's Monday, which means it's time now for our weekly sports roundup bring you the latest sporting results, headlines and stories from Korea. And for that, we have joining us on the line now, sports reporter Yu Ji-ho from the Yanap News Agency. Jiho, hello and thank you for joining us again. Yeah, it's great to be here. We start with football because the South Korean men's national team cruised to victory last Friday, defeating Tunisia 4-0 in the first of two friendly matches this month. Vietnam will be up tomorrow, Tuesday evening. But let's first recap Friday's win. Jiho, a welcome scoreline for a team that's been struggling for goals. And also, it was great to see the young star Yi Gangin score his first two senior international goals as well. Yeah, Yi Gangin is really enjoying an October to remember. Uh, he won the Asian Games gold medal just a few days ago in China and earned his military service exemption. And then he, went, he came back home to play for the senior national team and finally getting on the board at this level with the brace against Tunisia. Uh, scored a free kick goal and an open play goal just two minutes apart in the second half. Uh, it was a goalless first half, pretty listless on both sides, but uh, Yi Gangin single-handedly really changed the complexion of the match. Uh, with these two goals, and uh, the third goal by Korea actually was an own goal by a Tunisian defender. It was set up by Kim Min-jae's header of Yi Gangin's corner. So, you know, Yi Gangin was involved in three of the four goals uh, that uh, South Korea had in this victory. Uh, Son Heung-min, the longtime captain, did not play. He's been uh, nursing a groin injury. Uh, he, you know, was a limited participant in training, uh, did not end up playing. And then Yi Gangin really took over uh, really was the, uh, the the man of the match in the victory. And mm. uh, Tunisia, on the other hand, they looked out of sorts, uh, didn't put up really much of a fight. Uh, I was slightly disappointed that they weren't as good as advertised in that match. 
Yes, they were surprisingly lacklustre, but Korea did also eventually play fairly well. Uh, as I mentioned, the Tug Warriors will be taking on Vietnam next, who are ranked 95th in the world, so they will be perhaps even less likely of a test for Korea than Tunisia. But with the World Cup qualifiers and the Asian Cup on the horizon, what should Korea try to get out of this match, do you think? Well, you know, South Korea, the Korea Football Association, have faced some criticism for maybe not scheduling a match against a better team. Um, you know, sometimes this time of year, it's difficult to find teams outside of Asia to have friendlies against. Now, Klinsman's hope is that Vietnam will prepare Korea for matches against similar underdogs who will be setting up low blocks and defending for 90 minutes and look for odd counterattack counter opportunities here and there. Uh, and Korea have had some trouble scoring against these teams in the past. And they're going to have to really sharpen their finishing around the goal and make better passes in tight space. Otherwise, you know, they, you know basically they're going to be kicking into the wall of 10 players in the box. Mm. Um, so it's, gonna, it's not going to be easy to score all the time. So, it's, you know, in that sense, I think it could be a pretty good preparation for Korea to be facing a team like Vietnam because they're going to be you know, playing some of the similar teams in the uh, World, Cup, World Cup qualifying campaign, which begins next month, and also in the group stage of the Asian Cup in January. So, uh, and, and also, this could be an opportunity for Klinsman to maybe test the less used players who have not been seeing much action. Uh, if, if it all goes well on Tuesday night in the first half, if Korea somehow builds a big lead, uh, Klinsman might be, I guess, tempted to call upon some of the some of the Alessia used players in the mm. second half and right. to kind of see see what they have. So um, you know it's hard to imagine Sony will be missing both of the two friendlies at home. Uh, he's gonna want to play, but uh uh you know will make the call I think uh, almost game time decision for him. But uh if if not, uh, we're gonna probably see a similar group of starting starting eleven and then maybe some of the lesser used players in action in the second half. Yes, I guess we'll see. Uh, that game is taking place tomorrow at 8pm career time at the Suwon World Cup Stadium. Next, let's look at baseball because the KBO regular season is winding down. And while the LG Twins have already claimed the regular season title, the postseason brackets still haven't been finalised. Three teams are now vying for the number three seed and a direct ticket to the first round of the playoffs. Jiho, can you sum up for us? Yeah, with the LG Twins having clinched the regular season crown earlier this month and the K2 Warriors having wrapped up their season and the, as the number two seed, we've got three spots off for of grabs. And three teams are actually vying for that uh, number three spot and a direct ticket to the first round of the postseason. NC Dinos, SSG Landers, and the Doosan Bears all have a chance to finish a third. They can all finish anywhere from third to fifth. Uh, and they each have to play Monday and Tuesday to finish the regular season. And especially the Landers and the Bears, they're going to be playing each other on those last two days of the season. Now, number four and number five teams will meet in the wildcard round. The higher seed gets two cracks at getting a win or a tie to advance to the next phase. The lower seed, however, must win two straight games to advance. And that has never happened since the wildcard was introduced in 2015. Uh, so a lot of excitement building uh, toward the finish line. And that has led to a surge in attendance this year. Uh, the league surpassed 8 million mark on Sunday, first time in five years and only the fourth time in league history. Uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot to look forward to in the final two days, two days of regular season and also beyond the regular season, regular season into the pro season, which begins on Thursday. Let's move swiftly on to golf because the Korean PGA Tour star Kim Joo-young 
aka Tom Kim, defended his PGA Tour title in Las Vegas this morning. He's just the second Korean player to win a tour event in back-to-back years. So, Jiho, another impressive performance from the young man. Yeah, he's only 21 years old, also one of the youngest players ever to defend a PGA Tour title. And he won the uh, Shriners Children's Open in Sin City at 20 on the par, one shot ahead of uh, Adam Hedwin of Canada after shooting 5 under 66 in the final round. So third career win for Kim, who, as I said, is 21 years old. Uh, he's also third on the all-time wins list among Korean PGA Tour players. Uh, three quick birdies were almost negated by two bogeys uh, on the front nine. But Kim bounced back, recording three birdies and coming home to seize control and ended up with a narrow victory. Uh, he said the first two wins of his career came relatively quickly, and then he kind of started putting a little bit more pressure on himself. Uh, and after overcoming that kind of uh, weight of expectations, the third victory felt extra sweeter for him. And finally, in tennis, U.S.-born half-Korean player Jessica Pegula won her fourth Korea WTA Tour title here in Seoul, in fact, which is the place of her mother's birth, of course. So, Jiho, it was a special win for the Pegula family. It was indeed. Uh, Pegula defeated uh, Yuan Yue of China in straight sets, 6-6-3, to win the Korea Open in Seoul. Uh, she identifies herself as half-Korean because her mother, Kim Pegula, was born in Seoul, but was adopted by an American family as a baby. And Kim and her husband, uh, Terry, they're very successful entrepreneurs. They own the Buffalo Bills in the NFL and the Buffalo Sabres in the NHL. And Jessica first played here in 2019, but she was a much different player back then. She was only number 60 in the world, lost in the first round then. This year, she's the world number four. She's got the second most wins this year on the tour. Uh, the victory was fourth career title for her first one outside of North America, and she said afterward it was a special to win in Seoul and thank the local fans for the support. Uh, she's been a huge fan favorite ever since people found out that, you know, her mother was, uh, was actually born in Korea. So, and she's been, you know, pretty much uh, uh, expressing a lot of pride of uh, being, uh, being half Korean, and she identifies, the, identifies herself as half Korean also. So uh, pretty good win for uh, Pegula family uh, out in Seoul. Okay, that's all for our roundup today. Jiho, thank you for those updates, and we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, thanks for having me. That wraps up our show for today. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow, so do join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. Don't even think about checking that message or texting back. Did you know it only takes three seconds after a driver's attention has been diverted from the road for a crash to occur? Texting while driving is six times more likely to cause an accident than driving under the influence of alcohol. Sending or reading a text message causes drivers, on average, to take their eyes off the road for five seconds. When driving at 80 kilometers per hour, that means that drivers travel approximately the length of a football field with their eyes closed. At KBS World Radio, we value our listeners' safety and well-being. If you're listening to our programs while driving via your mobile device, please hit play before you set off on your journey. 
If you receive a message or call while driving, either use a hands-free Bluetooth device to respond or wait until you've arrived at your destination. You're not just putting your life at risk. Distracted driving accounts for approximately 25% of all motor vehicle crash fatalities. Arrive alive. Until peonies bloom, I Kim Yong Nang. 모란이 피기까지는 나는 아직 나의 봄을 기다리고 있을 테요. 모란이 뚝뚝 떨어져 버린 날, 나는 비로소 봄을 여인 서름에 잠길 테요. Until peonies bloom, I'll just go on waiting for my spring. On days when peonies drop, drop their petals, I'll finally languish in sorrow at the loss of spring. 5월 어느 날, 그 하루 무덥던 날, 떨어져 누운 꽃잎마저 시들어 버리고는 천지에 모라는 자취도 없어지고 One day in May, that one sultry day When the fallen petals had all withered away There was no trace of peonies in all the world 뻗쳐 오르던 내 보람 서운케 무너졌느니 모란이 지고 말면 그뿐 내한 해는 다 가고 마라 My soaring sense of fulfillment had crumbled into sorrow Once peonies have finished falling my year is over. For all 360 days, I sadly lament. 360날 한양 섭섭해 우옵니다. 모란이 피기까지는 나는 아직 기다리고 있을 테요. 찬란한 슬픔의 봄을. Until peon is bloom, I'll just go on waiting. For a spring of glorious sorrow. 